Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, which is what we're supposed to be seeking, along with the righteousness of God. And if we were to actually seek those two things, all else would be provided to us that we might think we need. Uh, We just listened to the news before the beginning of the program, and we look at a lot of injustices that are going on, a lot of... uh, Corruption that is going on in the world today. And people are trying to find a solution for that corruption. And uh, a lot of people are looking to the government to solve that problem. And of course, anybody who's read Samuel, 1 Samuel, and by the time they got to uh, 1 Samuel 8, they should have figured out that more government is not the answer to the problems of corruption in the world, that something else is needed. There's a missing element in society today that keeps us from seeing the real solution. There was a missing element in the character of man that was missing in the people of Israel when they saw corruption and wanted to do something about that corruption. They saw this corruption with uh, the sons of uh, Samuel and other people were also involved in that corruption. Why was it so important? I mean, what's Samuel? He's just a prophet, a priest. I mean, like, how is he fermenting, his sons fomenting or fermenting even, corruption in society. Well, of course, if you don't know that the cities of refuge are actually a a system of courts and appeals courts for the judicial system of Israel, and you don't know that the judicial system of Israel is based on men gathering together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and forming juries, to decide fact and law, if you don't know that the statutes of Moses are actually the precedent of Moses, the judgments of Moses, the actual word is translated judgment, or should be translated judgment of Moses. Sometimes it's translated statutes. Sometimes it's translated ordinances. Which gives you an idea that, you know, when you look out in the legal system today, you say, well, is there a law against this? Well, we'll look down in the statutes and we'll say, oh, oh, well, there's a law against this. So we know that we can't do that because they have a statute here. We think of statutes as rules that we have to abide by or some other governmental judicial system will have us arrested and tried and put into jail. I mean, what is somebody was saying that, you know, like, if all the things that they're theoretically charging Trump with, if he was convicted and got full sentences, he'd be in jail for a thousand years or something. <laughs> At least in the news just before the program. And then they're talking about uh, Biden's son. Probably they're going to rush to this trial so that he gets a pardon by his dad before his dad is out of office. 
in case his dad loses. So I don't know. You can get lost in all these attempts to eradicate corruption and uh, and this backbiting and everything. But it's really more important to get to the very crux of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other problems that they're constantly referring to will be resolved. All we have to do is is seek these simple things. I mean, like, what's wrong with seeking the righteousness of God? Well, one of the problems is that we're going to have to see the righteousness of God. In order to see the righteousness of God, we might have to see the unrighteousness of us. <laughs> and that's a dark room that a lot of people don't want to go into. Like, uh, you know, I, I want freedom. I don't want responsibility. <laughs> I don't want to take responsibility for anything I might have done wrong. I just want to get the government off my back. I want to get my land free of taxation. I want to get my labor free of taxation. I don't want my responsibility to God and my fellow man. I don't want to practice pure religion. You know, I mean, religion, what is that? Well, of course, we tell you what religion is or what it used to be. You know, one of the ways we tell you what religion is, is we tell you the way they used to define it. And then you can look at how they define it today. You can look at how they defined it maybe a 100 years ago or 200 years ago. Look at all these different definitions. And then we we may look at the words that they translate into religion. You know, religion like like the Latin word religiere. That's translated into religion. But there's another word translated into religion called superstitio. Well, if the Romans had two different words that could be translated into religion, there's probably a clue as to the meaning of what religion really is. I mean, if you look up religion in any big dictionary, there's going to be definition one, uh, definition two, <laughs> probably three, four, a big dictionary, you might have five or six different definitions for the same word. Sometimes those definitions are quite a di- different. But in looking at how different people defined religion and what what religions used to be about and and the different kinds of religion, I'm not talking about denominations, but I'm talking about fundamental types of religion. You know, there's private religion and public religion. Christianity was considered in the courts of Rome to be private religion. And they, you know, by the time you had some of the emperors of Rome, uh, like in Africa, they outlawed private religion. You couldn't have private religion anymore. And then we talked in the last couple of shows about you know, Tacitus and Suetonius and, and Plutarch, who seem to not like Christians. They, they like public religion, which was run through the government of Rome, but they didn't like that private religion of Christians. They actually would have them arrested. You know, 
And you know, really, if you, if you boiled it down into modern terms, they were canceling people like Theodosius. And of course, they, the ultimate cancellation is they get thrown into the arena and eaten by wild animals or something. That, that's the ultimate cancellation. What they did where Theodosius lived was, uh, they said, well, I don't want to try him. Evidently, there was a different magistrate there at the time. And, uh, not the, uh, guy who was fully in charge. And, uh, they didn't want to, they didn't want him around, but they didn't want to try him. So they sent him to Rome. They sent him to Trajan. And we talked about how, how the, evidently, I believe, based on what they were doing, that the Roman centurions, which are called leopards, probably because of the outfit that they were a part of, were taking him as a prisoner from where he was to all the way to Rome. And that's a long ways. And, of course, the quickest way is to get on board a ship and just sail over there and saves all that walking. You're going to have to sleep someplace. You're going to have to, you know, the ship's going to keep sailing at night a lot of the time. And instead, they took this strange route, bouncing all over the place, going to Christian churches where he wrote letters and spoke and all this stuff. So I have this suspicion that those Roman centurions were Christians and actually delaying his arrival in Rome. Speculation on my part. But of course they couldn't say that out loud or they would be persecuted too. And, and we've shown you lots of evidence and there is a lot more than that. what we've shown that a lot of Roman centurions were secretly Christians. So what was the appeal? And what was the difference between private religion and public religion? So in exploring those questions, we're beginning to understand what religion really was. And what what was the conflict between Rome and Christianity? And why were they being canceled by persecution? What was really going on with the, the the Christians and the Romans? And this is very important because it's actually going on today. We have this idea of canceling people. And, and real Christians can get canceled. A lot of people who aren't real Christians can get canceled too. You can get canceled for almost anything. If, if you don't go along with the religion of the media, what they believe. I mean, if religion is just a belief, what you think, you know, what you have faith in, and you don't have faith in, you know, maybe some mandatory medication that everybody has to take, you don't have faith in that. Or you just don't have faith in the medical system. You know, we have the military-industrial complex, we have the medical-industrial complex, (laughs) And some people don't have faith in that. They think that it is money-driven and it's not really has their best interest at heart. I can't really argue against that idea. But what that does is you don't want to be a part of their religion, but they want to make you a part of their religion. And they want to force you to genuflect before their solution. 
But of course, we're supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And so what I've often done is taken things that are in the news and people that are in the news and we've looked at them to try to figure out, you know, if if there are things going on today in the news, in the media, in in, in our lives that is distracting us from seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness or maybe actually affecting our minds so that if we come across the elements of the kingdom of God and His righteousness, that we won't see it. We won't perceive them. And of course, Jesus told all kinds of parables and stories and gave us all kinds of instructions, most of which the modern Christians ignore. The instructions, they, they'll they talk about the parables, but you bring up the instructions and you get that deer in the headlight look, you know, like, you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other but call themselves benefactors. A common quote that I am often uh, referring to and, and reciting. And, and Jesus is saying we're not to be that way. Not like the governments of the Gentiles. Which it means the government of other nations. Which would by basic logic and language, would mean that when he appointed a kingdom to his disciples, which is what he was doing at the same time he said that, that this appointment was actually another government. Yeah, Jesus was appointing a government, a kingdom, to his disciples. The church is a government. But, it's it's different than the governments of the world. So if I say the church is a government, you're going to say, well, I don't want to be governed by the church. Well, the church can't govern you because of that instruction we just read there that I just recited in Matthew and Mark and Luke. That you're not supposed to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other. So yeah, if you go to the church for government services... They can't exercise authority over you. Because the king, this other king, said we can't do that. So, the fact that I say the church is a government, don't get carried away. You know, don't have your emotional breakdown. And I don't want to be bossed around by no church. Some sort of theocracy. Because it's not that kind of government. You know, that's what George Floyd used to say. I'm not that kind of guy. Well, I'm not that kind of government. The church is a kind of government that only serves. It only has offices of service. That's why all the government people in the church are called ministers. Because minister comes from a word that means servant. It's a different kind of government. Well, wait a minute. If you're saying... That the government of the church can't exercise authority. Who can exercise authority in the church established by Jesus Christ? Well, the people. The people can exercise authority. They have authority. They don't have authority like a democracy. I mean, the the people in the church can't say, you know, take away the rights of the other people in the congregation. They can't do that. But they can exercise authority over themselves. 
Well, that sounds like an anarchy where everybody can just do what they want. Well, everybody can do what they want, but everybody has to suffer the consequences of what they do. So it's not really an anarchy because there is an authority. It's just not, you know, like Putin or Mao Zedong. They're not the authority in the kingdom of God. They're authority in the, uh, uh, whatever it is, Democratic Republic of China or whatever, <laughs> the Republic of China. Mao was the authority. He was the head guy. And Putin is the head guy in, in Russia. And I guess Biden is the head guy in the United States today. I don't know who's really pulling all the strings, but he's, he's the guy they hold up there. They often actually have to hold him up there. But that's that government. You know, in the United States, you know, despite what a lot of people want to think, it's not a republic. I know everybody wants to think it's a republic. I say, well, it, 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 the Constitution says it's a republic. No, the Constitution says it's an indirect democracy. Just read it. Uh, honestly, without preconceived notions. And it's an indirect democracy. And then then go read all the thousands and thousands of statutes that they've, they've created and, and then understand that the people have moved from citizens of the individual states to citizens of the United States and they've done this by application and signing agreements and making covenants with the government and that would mean with the legislature, uh, both Congress and Senate and, and the executive branch and the judicial branch because we know there are the three branches in this government that was created by the Constitution. What most people don't know is that every state after the ratification of the Constitution of the United States, according to the law, according to Clark's summary of U.S. American law, you know, it was reprinted, one of the fundamental outlines of American law, that after the ratification of the Constitution of the United States, by whatever means they did that, the states were still as foreign to each other as Mexico is to Canada. And all the people were citizens of the individual states. Now, it's just history. I'm not trying to make a big deal of that. It's not the way it is anymore. But it was that way at that time, back in the 1800s. But things change. And so now, you're a citizen of the United States, and you're a resident of your state. You can go look up all those words and figure out what that means. But that's going to be a distraction right now. We've already covered all that. What we want to know now is how to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because when we look out in the government, we see corruption, you know, uh, on the Republican side. We see corruption on the Democratic side. We even see some corruption in the independence. There's not a lot of independence actually make it into government, but there's, there's corruption. Because there's corruption in all of us. And as as we talked before in our Exodus series, series and, uh, you know, Jordan Peterson and, and their people brought up, know thyself. In order to know thyself, we have to ask, actually know a little bit about God and a little bit about our relationship with whatever this God is. Because a lot of people say, I don't even believe in God. Well, 
That tells us about your relationship. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that you know yourself. Know thyself. A simple statement. Carries a lot of weight. Now what we're going to do is we're going to go over some things where other people are trying to figure out what the solution is to all the corruption they see. The loss of freedom they see. The loss of individual rights they see. And... uh and they, they've written a whole book trying to explain what's wrong, what we're missing, and uh, what we need to see. And they actually did a pretty good job. But we're going to go over some of the things that they wrote down and find out what they're missing. And we're going to look at what they say and have a conversation with the words that they wrote down or the words that they uh, stated in their uh, in their book, and see if we can't figure out what we're missing, so that we can know ourselves, so that we can know God, and so that we can seek the kingdom of God and know what the righteousness of God would look like. And of course, lots of clues in the Bible. Jesus said, you know, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. That's Matthew 7.14. You can read it in context if you go look it up. But uh, the world is in a sad state of affairs, and we know that by the time you get to Matthew 24.5, for many shall come in my name and saying, I am Christ, uh, which actually means I am anointed, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. And uh, we're not to be troubled by these things. For all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation. We see that going on. And actually you see a threat of that actually escalating. But we're not to be troubled. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. There shall be pandemics. And then the pandemic that comes from the solution of the pandemic, which was partly shutdowns and, and experimental drugs and and and, and Canceling people and censorship. All these things have an effect on society. I mean, it's well established. Lots of papers have reported on it. That hundreds of thousands of people are now suffering from starvation. And and tens of thousands, maybe millions of people will die because of the results of the shutdowns. Which according to Fauci, he never asked for. Yet we see quotes of Fauci saying that he was calling for the nation to be shut down. So, I mean, like, but that was one of the things. Is You know, the they don't even bait and switch. They just switch and switch. They just constantly switching and switching. But Christ didn't switch. But a lot of people tried to switch what Christ said. And one of the ways they do this is leave out the truth. The whole truth. To know thyself, you need to be willing to know the whole truth. And you need to provide for it. And you need to be willing to speak it. 
So these are some of the things that we're going to be looking at until we come to the conclusion. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the the Kingdom. Uh, In that quote from Matthew 24, it goes on to say, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. After this, you know, all these signs are just the beginning of sorrows. And this this prophecy can actually be repeated numerous times. It it, it doesn't have to be just the one time. Because he's expressing the principles just like parables. You know, they gives a parable, but he's, he's trying to impart to you certain principles that can be repeated over and over again in life, in the course of history. This is why you study history, because, you know, history repeats itself. So, prophecy repeats itself. And, and before we're done, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what exactly... Uh, is prophecy. How does that work? And uh, what are we seeing when we see these ideas of prophecy? You know, in the world today. And and do we see prophecy? Does anybody see prophecy? Do they do they understand what's going on when uh, they hear things that are supposedly prophetic and uh, and true and uh, and what is true. But anyway, he says that this is the beginning of sorrows and that they will deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill, kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another. Well, many shall be offended. I mean, that that's something that's been going on now for three, four years. Everybody's Everybody's offended, you know, and of course they're offended by your mere presence. Now, people can be offended by a lot of things. If you even look like a Christian, you might be offending somebody, but that's not really the important thing. The important thing is that you actually are a Christian. Now, I know everybody out there who thinks they're a Christian, right? Right? Because you think you're a Christian, you are a Christian, right? I mean, isn't that the way it works? If you say you're a Christian, then, you know, you're a Christian. If you say you're a believer, you're a believer. I mean, that's that's what they're telling us. That's not what Jesus said. He said you had to be this doer of the word, not a hearer only. He warns about many will say, you know, Lord, Lord, but... They're not doers of the word. And of course, James tells us that's how you know who's telling the truth. I mean, because you could believe that you said that you're a Christian, but you might not be a Christian. Because you might be lying to yourself. Do you know yourself well enough to know that you're not lying to yourself? (laughs) So, these are questions you have to ask. But you have to let God answer the question. Because if you answer, you're probably going to answer that, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But if you let God answer it, you might get a different answer. And so, how do you know if you're listening to God or not? Because, I mean, you, you watch people, this is how you get to the deer in the headlight look, they just don't want to look at the truth. 
they're offended by the truth. They take offense at the truth. That they might not be a Christian. They might have a need of repentance. Now they might have started that path that way. They might see some of the truth. But are they willing to see the whole truth? To go the whole way. And not repent their repentance. To turn around from their repentance. So he says many will be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. We see a lot of that. For many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. For there shall arise false Christ, false anointed, false prophets and false prophets, he says. And shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Now we could do a whole program just on the elect. What's, what is that? The elect. I mean, there's, there's denominations using that all over the place. Oh, these people are the elect and these people, the elect know who they are. And they have all this. God knows who they are. I don't know who they are. You don't know who they are. You can guess, but only God really knows. And we have to really be careful, and this is where we're going to finally go, that we do not pluck the answers from the tree of knowledge. Our knowledge about Scripture, our knowledge about the Bible, our knowledge about the world. And we take all that and we come to conclusions. They might be right. They're not complete. Because we're not complete. But they might be right. But if they're missing certain things, you know, you're right over here, and you're right over here, but over here, you're not right. Well, you put all those things together and you got to lie. Because you're not, you don't know the whole truth. And nothing but the truth. You, you know other things. So we're going to try to find the whole truth. And I can tell you this, you, you're never going to be able to find the whole truth until you're willing to see the truth about yourself. And who are you? You're, you're made in God's image, okay? So, if we're made in God's image, every element of that creation of mankind is a part of the image of God. It's not God himself, but it's, it, it's all the elements of God in a finite creature, which we call man or woman. You know, a woman is a man. She's just a woman. And then the man is a man. But they're both men. And the sense of being part of mankind. And so, when we look at all this, we have to come up with some kind of uh, uh, conclusions at these different elements of the world. And how those elements of the world work. In Genesis 1.1 it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters of this deep. That's what they're talking about, the deep. They're not actually talking about waters yet. They're still talking about the face of the deep, which is like waters. So it's it's kind of a metaphor. And we can look at the Hebrew words and try to figure out, well, why is this the same word for waters everywhere? 
Or is this a metaphor for the deep? But it he moved the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then, of course, he divides the light and the darkness. And, but the darkness is simply the absence of light. And, and this is really important to understand that evil is the absence of good. And people are always saying, why does such a loving God allow such evil in the world? Because he allows darkness. If he didn't allow darkness, you wouldn't have a choice between light or darkness. You couldn't love the light unless there was darkness. And of course, when Adam ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, plucked his information from the knowledge of good and evil, made that tree of the knowledge of good and evil the source of his guidance instead of the tree of life, he realized he was naked. And of course we've explained that that means without authority. He didn't have the authority to do that. And when he didn't have the authority to do that, he began to hide from the truth about the fact that he didn't have authority to do that. And he hid himself from the light. And God called him out. And he didn't say, well, I'm sorry I'm hiding from the light because I realized I was naked because I ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which you told me not to do, and I did it anyway, and I'm ashamed that I did that. Instead, he was ashamed that he didn't have the authority, that he was naked. And he tried to blame his condition on God, the woman you gave me. Gave me the apple. It's your fault. You gave me this woman. And she gave it to me. He didn't say, look, I screwed up. We're still doing that to this day. Until we're willing to realize that all this corruption that we see out in the world. You know, I'm not going to name names. We already mentioned a few names. But all this corruption that we see out in the world. You know, the rich men north of Richmond, like Christopher Anthony Lunsford says, you know, he refers to the Richmond north of Richmond. We know him as, I think he goes by the name of Oliver Anthony. But his name is actually Christopher Anthony Lunsford. And, and interesting song. A lot of people, you know, brings them to tears. And, you know, he, he became this overnight success. And, uh, you know, amazing story. But he was singing about the Richmond, north of Richmond. Well, he's talking about the government. He's kind of blaming their situation on the government. Now, if you actually hear him talk, that he has a pretty realistic look at things. He just did an interview with uh, Jordan Peterson, uh, which is one of his heroes. Evidently, it wasn't one of his wife's heroes. <laughs> he used to listen to him all the time. And uh, What does she call him? The psychological guy. <laughs> <laughs> she, she didn't even know who he was. Uh, I, I think she does now. But uh, anyway, uh, she wasn't following him. She was, she was doing her thing. But Oliver Anthony was very interested in him. And they finally got to be on an interview show with him. And he was very impressed. 
but uh, and they 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 got along real well, but there wasn't a lot of conflict. They didn't get down to the conflict in their beliefs between Oliver Anthony and Jordan Peterson. But we'll we'll look at that at, in a subsequent show. But we we want to know. Where are we going? What is the Bible trying to tell us? Where is it trying to take us to? And and can are we willing to go where we need to go? Because it's very clear Adam was not willing to go. He was not willing to see the truth about himself. He hid. And then he blamed his condition on God. You know, like the people who say... You know, why Why is this God of love allow such evil in the world? Because he allows you to have choice. And you choose the evil. Because you don't choose the light. Because you don't choose the good. Because you don't want to see the whole truth. You only want to see what is convenient for you. And so we're going to take you to some of the places where you're going to see what's not so convenient. The not so convenient truth. Are you willing to go there? Because that's that's going to be quite the challenge to do that. And when we talked in the last shows, you can go back and listen to our last shows on, on Tacitus and Suetonius. Bright men, intelligent men, had a lot of great things to say. They didn't like Christians. They couldn't see that, that Christians had the solution. To the corruption in the world. Because there was a lot of corruption then. I mean, Caligula. I mean, gosh. Uh, serious corruption. Claudius. Pretty corrupt. Some good points. Uh, you can go right down the list of the emperors. One corrupt emperor after another. Julius Caesar. At the beginning. I mean, that was the man, according to Plutarch, who ruined Rome. And how did he do it? He bought them off. He bought their moral integrity off with gifts, gratuities, and benefits. He should have been arrested and tried for war crimes. Now, if we were to look in the, the news today, and I won't, I don't want to name names, I'll just let you put the pieces of the puzzle together. Is there anybody in the news today that might be selling America out to their enemies while holding an office of power? And getting away with it because vast numbers of the population just want to look at the fact that he provides and promises to provide. He actually doesn't provide it. All kinds of benefits. You know, like paying off your student loan and stuff like that. He's promising to pay all these debts and relieve you of all this responsibility. And so people don't see the corruption. And that's the way it was with Julius Caesar. Some people saw it. But they didn't have power to overcome it because they were actually a part of some of that corruption because there were so many different layers of that corruption. Christ came along and told us what the corruption was. That that the people were looking to the Corbin of the Pharisees, which was based on forced offerings at that time. Corbin had always been free will offerings. In a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Israel, according to even the dictionary put out by Microsoft, was one of the first republics. 
And in that republic, like I said, they had a system of courts. It was based on ten families coming together. And the elders of those families, the heads of those families, sitting in a jury to decide fact and law. And if there was a miscarriage of justice, it could be appealed upward. If you look at the language, you go read our article on cities of refuge. It could be appealed upward to other courts that didn't have the power to judge people, but had the power to acquit. Because without the power to acquit, there is no mercy. And of course, locally, somebody could break a law and they could, you know, that local jury could say, yeah, well, he wasn't supposed to do that, but there's extenuating circumstances and, and you know, like he did do this and he did protect here and he, and, and this was going on and we think it wouldn't be fair to, to punish this guy or to ostracize him, which is most of their punishment was simply ostracizing them from their system of social welfare which was the altars of clay and stone, which now we go all the way back to Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and, and Abraham and his altars of clay and stone and, and Moses of his altars of clay and stone, unhewn stone. And, you know, as we've already explained, these are systems of social welfare. Jordan Peterson didn't quite get that. Uh, his whole symposium didn't quite get that. A lot of people don't get that. There was a system of social welfare that according to the teachings of Moses, and who was quoting Yahweh, had to be free will offerings. Herod and the Pharisees abandoned that. Caesar Augustus, uh, Julius Caesar, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, all abandoned that. Tacitus, Suetonius, Plutarch. They knew, Plutarch knew that Rome was ruined because a corrupt military leader brought in all kinds of money by selling a million Gauls into slavery and murdering another million. And then bribed the people not to prosecute him because he spread amongst them gifts, gratuities, and benefits. Which Plutarch says is the greatest destroyers of liberty. Let's see Anthony sing about that. That we're the problem. We've been coveting our neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority one over the other to a government that operates by that principle for almost a hundred years. Which is why corruption prevails. It's us. We're the culprits. I snuck up on you with that, some of you. But that's, we can, we can fix that. We can fix it, start fixing that right now by thinking differently. And repenting, which is what thinking differently means. What repenting means, thinking differently. And sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start taking care of one another through another system based on love and charity rather than force and violence. Now, I've heard, uh, actually in the, 
it, 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 you can probably go get it on Spotify, Jordan Peterson's uh, interview with Anthony, where he's he's talking about, uh, I was trying to think of the number, is it 382? You'll have to just go look that up. <laughs> but, yeah, I think it was 382, something like that. But anyway, uh, he, he interviewed him, and he came up with this... Uh, in the conversation towards the end, you might have to go on to Daily Wire because some of it wasn't on Spotify. The last little bit was on Daily Wire. But, uh, and of course, you have to pay to get to see that. Unlike, uh, unlike us here at, at Keys of the Kingdom, we don't make you pay to hear anything. <laughs> you know, we're not, uh, we're not doing that. But the original podcast was 382. And, uh, but he, he's talking about uh, uh, Oliver Anthony. He's telling him about what he's he, he wants to do in Europe coming up here in October, and and this organizing this this group, this alliance uh, for responsible citizenship, and he's trying to put it together, and he probably needs our help. <laughs> In order to get it together. But he says, if people are using power, force, and fear, you know that's not a good leader. Well, Jesus didn't use power, force, and fear. Uh, FDR did. I mean, he was, he was actually arresting people. <laughs> and he was breaking the rules in the Constitution. A lot of things he was doing got rolled back. But he started this idea of social welfare through the government. And uh, and he was a socialist because socialists always depend on force in order to make... You can't force everybody, so you have to create fear, and fear will make everybody else go along. But he was using his power as an executive officer to create a system of social welfare that was like the system of social welfare set up by Herod and the Pharisees that took us down this primrose path that was not the straight way, the narrow way, that leadeth unto life. But it was the way that leadeth unto people biting one another, you know, until they themselves are devoured. And this is what we've been doing. And it's not according to those two commandments that actually Oliver brought up in the interview which we'll talk about later. So anyway, what I'm going to be doing is going through, uh, I just went through the whole book of uh, Psychology of Totalitarianism and by Matthias Desmond. And a lot of what he says is really true. A lot of what he says is fascinating. He's putting little pieces together and he uses some ideas uh, like a, this idea of replicating uh, a design, you know, based on several dots, and you connect the dots, and then you make another dot, and you connect more dots, and, and you make these triangles, and, and the pattern just keeps repeating itself. And this is kind of like, man, I, you know, uh, you know, like the comedian who says, have you made your own people yet? Because <laughs> he's had children, and that's, we can do that. We can actually make our own people. We we can we can create the next generation. And this you've heard me say before, it's written in the Bible that the kingdom of God is from generation to generation. 
Well, there's something phenomenal that takes place in there. And it's worth repeating over and over again. We'll address it again and again. But the reality is this idea of uh, replication of ourselves. But not just, I can't replicate myself. I'm not a virus. (laughs) Uh, But with cohabitating with another woman, my wife, we have replicated between the two of us, reproduced at least six children. That's the next generation. And they've started reproducing with their spouses more children. And what you see, the phenomenon that you see in nature, and you actually see it all the way down to fungus, that there is, in that structure of creating the new society, the next society, the next generation, the first generation sacrifices for themselves so that the next generation may live and may have a more abundant life or a better life or a more comfortable life. Unfortunately, comfort is not the solution. But this this process of laying down your life for the next generation is absolutely essential to finding the kingdom. And it's a very humbling experience. And humility opens the way to the narrow way, which we will look at when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. So in this uh, second half of the Keys of the Kingdom, we're, we're going to get right into the psychology of totalitarianism by Matthias Desmond. And uh, I have notes up and they're constantly changing. They changed over at the break every time we've had a break <laughs> in the show. And I uploaded them this morning off of my phone, so then I have to reformat them for the, the, the page. Uh, right now, it'll probably be under Desmond, but right now it's under mass formation psychosis, which he actually seems to, in several interviews, I heard him say he doesn't like to add the word psychosis there because, it, for whatever reason, you can go listen to him and you'll hear him talk about it. But, uh, it'll probably, this, this section will probably also appear under a page, uh, about Matthias Desmond. And uh, we'll eventually have recordings there so that you can follow along. But that's where the notes are right now. And uh, when he, in his introduction, he, he, he says the reason he sat down to write this book uh, is that he saw things changing in the world and not for the better. And he saw a radical contempt for facts. And, of course, we see that, you know, facts facts don't matter. <laughs> People don't want to hear facts. And this, is, of course... There's a psychological explanation for this, but uh, facts didn't matter to a lot of people throughout the ages. And when we get to the state where facts don't matter, then we know that we're in the area of superstitio, which is a form of a religion. Like I said, there are two words translated into religion, religiere, which has to do with binding. A lot of people want to make a big deal out of that. Rebinding. Religiary means kind of rebinding. Uh, legiere comes from the word lex legis, which means to bind, which is a word that they translate law. But the Romans have two words for law. They have jus juris, which means just right and fair. 
That's what is just, like just, jus naturale, natural law, which natural law is not subject to statute. It pre-existed. It's, it's the law that existed when man was created. And it remains untouched by man. Man can't change it. So that, that's, that's that juice, jury, or juris. It, it, that is that law. But the Romans had another word that is translated into the single English word law, which is lex legis, which means to bind, which has to do with the contract makes the law. Agreements must make the law. You know, that, that you make agreements and people don't even realize they make agreements. And I, I had, a, we had a funny conversation about that at the Burning Bush Festival because of incidents with somebody from another country that thought, well, I, that's not the way I do things. Well, wait a minute. You signed an agreement to come to this country <laughs> and uh, to be in this country. And, uh, yeah, but that's not the way I think. But you signed an agreement. And the fact is, is that, you know, uh, I told the individual who was dealing with it, I've, I've talked to the boy since, but I said, Pacta Zervanda Sunt. Agreements must be kept. When I first came across that, it's a, it's a maxim of law in, in, in Roman law. And Roman law and civil law are the same systems of jurisprudence. But this, Pacta Servanda Sun, I, I went and looked it up on the internet when the internet was a little bit honest before AI and Google. <laughs> and it popped, popped up everywhere. I could find all kinds of documents with the phrase Pacta Servanda Sun. And there was a common thread. All these documents were in United Nations archives. <laughs> They're big for Pacta Servanda Sun's agreements must be kept. And of course, in the Ten Commandments, which is fundamental law, fundamental statements about this jus naturale, this law of nature, this law of God, created by God, that, that we're not to make agreements, covenants, leagues, contracts, treaties, with other men and their gods. And of course, we've studied the word God. It means ruling judges. And in a court of law in Rome, the judge would be addressed at Theos in the Greek. And in a Hebrew court, you might address him Elohim. I mean, the same word Elohim is translated judge or judges in the Old Testament. And they're clearly talking about people, bringing them before the judges. But the word there in the Hebrew is Elohim. Because that's what that word means. It means the, the ruling judge of a particular, like agreement. Paktas Avandoswant. This pact. The, and, and it used to say that we've gone through this in history. That, you know, it says remedy for this contract is at law. Or the remedy... For this contract is in equity. They used to have to say that in contracts back in early England, you know, before even when we were still immigrating over here to America. They would say where the remedy for the contract was. Was it at law or in equity? Now they don't even say that, but they can tell where the remedy is by the way the contract is written. But we're not to be making those contracts and giving other men 
the power to exercise authority over us. But we did. And we did it to get benefits. Which brings us to some other things that Desmond was noticing. He saw an increase in sloth and avarice and a reduction in liberty. The sloth and avarice was you know, like, he. it would take him a year to get a paper signed so that he could, you know, go through a process of, of, of doing a study because the people that had to review it and sign off on it, they were constantly out of work. They weren't at work. They were having anxiety attacks or taking vacations. It took over a year to get it signed. Terribly inefficient. And they're just being slothful. They're not showing up to work. And of course, after COVID, this has been a big problem. A lot of people don't come to work anymore. Because they made it more beneficial not to work. You know, I talked about, I had a, a load of logs delivered. And the guy said, well, I'm not going to be able to deliver anymore. For two years, he couldn't deliver any more logs. Why couldn't he deliver them? Because the cutters in the woods realized they could make more money on unemployment than they could cutting logs. And so they just quit. He couldn't get anybody cut in the woods. Well, evidently, something's happening. He's got somebody cut in the woods because he finally can deliver logs again. <laughs> so, but uh, he was shut down for two years. A lot of people were shut down for years and years because of all that nonsense. But anyway, this sloth is creepy. I know a lot of people in Europe. And uh, and there is a huge amount of sloth. That, that The work ethic that used to be absolutely essential to survive is going away. And, and it's destroying whole nations. But when he saw this, what did he do? What was his first thing to do? He said, I paid off the mortgage on my house. That's what he did. He was he was driven to pay off debt, to get rid of debt. He, he thought debt was bad. Now, that's a heroic choice. And even makes a little reference to it in the book where he says, you know, evidently there's a debate whether that was a good idea to pay off the mortgage on his house. And I know why he's saying that because in Europe and a lot of places in America too, that people think debt is good. We want debt. We want to borrow money against the future. Well, the only reason they say that is because they don't have just weights and measures. They've already, you know, over a hundred years ago, they went to a money system that isn't real money. And people want to say, oh, yeah, I heard all that. That doesn't make any difference. It does make a difference. Now, the real difference is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But, it does have a mechanical difference in society. Because right now, since the beginning of this program, all the money in your pocket has decreased in value. All the money in your bank account has decreased in value because of inflation. So it does make a difference. And if you want to say it doesn't make a difference, you're in denial. You just don't want to see how naked you really are. Because you already have nothing. <laughs> But you're still seeking to get happy. But anyway, he says, first and foremost, I wanted my sovereignty back. I did not want to be indebted to 
and compliant in a financial system, in my view, played a part in the social impasse that was about to occur. That Those words are almost prophetic because he was just talking about, you know, COVID and all this stuff. But he, he probably knows more than he said in that statement. The social impasse that was about to occur. What is that? But we're not going to tell you. But in, on in the introduction, he goes on to equate the new medical experts with pigs of George Orwell's animal farm. And of course, they're constantly, you know, they're running the show, the pigs and, George, uh, and animal farm. And they're constantly changing the rules and putting up a new set of rules. And he saw the what is posing as medical experts, the ones that were held up by the media as medical experts. Because there were there were great many men who are real medical as experts, published ten thousand sites uh of their work, uh peer reviewed, uh dozens of patents, some of them like over eighty patents that they have and they they were saying a completely different story than the uh, epidemiologists and immunologists and and doctors. I mean, you got huge organizations, CDC and stuff. They're run by people who aren't even really medical doctors. You know, I heard a comedian uh, talking about that. That you know, like he was asking questions, and people said, "Oh, don't, don't ask questions." You know. Don't tell me you're going to do your own research. And he says, well, you know, why not? And Are you the expert? And he says, no, but I'm reading experts. <laughs> I, I, that, that Doing your own research. They used to tell us to do our own research. They want you to read experts. You know, I was reading the actual studies and quoting from the actual studies on our articles at Preparing You We'll, we'll quote actual experts. And in the footnotes, you can actually go to the studies that were made and look at the studies and the abstracts of the studies and read them for yourself. I actually contacted, uh, one of the doctors early on study of the spike protein because he happened to come across it. He is already in the midst of a study in Washington and, uh, I read his study and I find a typo. <laughs> and I wrote him, I said, is this a typo? Or did you mean this? And he wrote me back and he said, oh, that was a typo. <laughs> I, I assume he's fixed it somewhere, but that was in his preliminary report. But, uh, yeah, I put him up there. You know, I actually linked to the sources. I didn't just read opinions. I certainly wouldn't want to just read the New York Times. Although I quote the New York Times on Sumeria. We did several shows on this. Sumer's um, system of social welfare, what it was based on. It's the same as the Corbin of the Pharisees. It's the same as FDR. And, and we put all these pieces together, which uh, Matthias eventually says is... Uh, uh, what's the word he uses? Technique. That uh, he, he makes reference to it. So, anyway, um, 
so that was just in the introduction and then his first chapter or the first part of his book is broken down into two into two parts and I'm getting a little bit of feedback here but uh, it's broken down into two parts and uh, the first part is science and its uh, psychological effect and the first chapter is science and ideology which ideology is not science Science and ideology should not mix. Science is, is the systemic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation, experimentation, and the testing of theories against the evidence obtained. So have you obtained certain evidence that this is so, but then you obtain evidence that it's not so. You have to look at both Evidence, all the evidence, and see what fits. And if it doesn't match up, you have to go back to the studies and see how are the studies conducted and all this stuff. But it's a systemic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world. Ideology is it's settled. So anybody tells you the science is settled, they're not talking about science, they're talking about ideology. And that's... Basically what I got out of the first chapter. <laughs> the second chapter is science and, and, and practical applications. From the, from, and he talks about from the clock to the media defeated the rule of nature and conquered the living room. Uh, labor becomes less meaningful because of the beneficiary became unknown. Uh, now what does that mean? These are, I kind of taking, he talks about Pardon my language, but it's a quote from him. He talks about bullshit jobs and the pro- proliferation of meaningless work. And this is why labor became less meaningful. And, and he, he equated it with a couple of ideas like you're manufacturing something in a company and it goes to somebody else. You never get, you know, your handiwork, you never get to hand it to the the guy who receives it. And so you, it becomes something that you don't feel the appreciation of that thing that you have given and, and spent your sweat and toil in the making. And that's very important. And, and I've done shows on Capgras, which is an interesting phenomenon where a part of your brain is damaged and it's uh, the uh, part of the nervous system where you meet somebody you know that you know real well. I mean, like your mother, your father. And when you see them, it induces a response. Hopefully a good response if you had good parents. <laughs> and that that response actually signals your brain that that's your mother and your father. I mean, your eyes see it. You know intellectually that's my mother and her father. But there's an additional connection that must be made that stimulates something in you starts when you're a little baby and you look up at your mom when you're breastfeeding or uh, when you're nursing or she's taking care of you or holding you or rocking you or singing you to sleep and you look up at your mom you've seen this in babies they're making a connection that stimulates something deep inside their mind and if you break that physical, mechanical connector, that nerves, that nervous system, 
And you can do this with methamphetamines. You can also do it with a motorcycle accident. We give all those examples. You won't receive that signal that goes back to that inner part of your brain that that's your parents. And you will actually think it's not your parents. It's not your brother. It's not your wife. It's not your husband. And people have actually, you know, somebody actually, uh, the assumption is that they had a fever and it, it broke that nervous nerve connection and suddenly they came home and they thought their husband was an intruder. They looks like my husband, but it's not my husband because they didn't get that signal. And they they call this phenomenon Capgras. Well, the reality is now when you go and you work and you're a blacksmith and you make some something for somebody and you they come by and they get it and they oh this is great you did a great job on this you get that affirmation. We, we've lost that by the way in which we've created society. There is a tendency for people to blame the industrialization of of the world for the changes in society. And Desmond does this. And I want to early on say, no, that isn't the problem. It is not the industrialization and mechanization of the world. It's not the technocracy of the world that is causing the problem. The problem actually is, is that those elements of mankind all those little parts of the structure of mankind as a physical and spiritual creature. You, you can say physical and soulful creature, mental creature, You can, you, if you don't want to use the word spiritual. But those elements, there's a specific number of those elements in all of us. And if we deny part of them, if we cut ourselves off from part of them, we we remove ourselves from the narrow way. And, and that signal that comes back when you see your father, your mother, your brother, your wife, your husband, and, and it sends this signal down this narrow way. It's a little nervous system with a very complex name. <laughs> I, I'm not going to try to pronounce. But uh, the that little nervous system, tiny little signal. If that signal doesn't come back, you you can't recognize. You think it's not your mother. It's not your father. It, and you can go read our article at Preparing You. And I think we have some videos up there on Capgras. And I've known numerous people who have suffered from this. Two boys who got in a car accident. And one of them was given uh, an adult dose of an, a methamphetamine. You know. To calm him down because they thought maybe his back was broken. I warned the uncle who I was talking to on the phone that when he wakes up, he may not recognize his parents. Now, that people get those kind of shots all the time. This doesn't happen. But I had the premonition that it was going to happen. And I told him that it was going to happen. And I think it, in the long run, it actually scared him that somebody could actually see so clearly. And this will play in. What you see without judgment in your heart will bring light into the darkness of another man's soul. And it has to do with something I've already mentioned from the clock to the media. What did I mean from the clock to the media? I said that and 
Now, I wonder how many people says, what does he mean from the clock to the media? This is very important. We're going to connect a lot of dots here before we're done. But anyway, when the boy woke up, he didn't, not only didn't recognize his father and his mother as his father and mother. I mean, he knew they looked like his father and mother. But it, I mean, it was like pod people to him. You know, like the, the movie that, you know, that he even believed that the doctors of the hospital wasn't a real hospital. It was somehow it was a fake. And I, I told them, I told the uncle that you're going to have to watch him because he may try to escape. And certainly he did. They actually had to put somebody watch him all the time because he was trying to get out of the hospital because he thought it wasn't a real hospital. wasn't really his parents. The closer the person was to him uh, emotionally and uh, in relationships with, the more he thought it was not really them. Because he wasn't getting this little micro feedback, a little tiny little electrical charge feedback into his brain that he doesn't even know takes place. And he wasn't recognizing them. Because that little connection was cut off. Can you imagine what connection was cut off when Adam ate of the tree of knowledge and hid? What was cut off when Adam denied his mistake and and blamed his error on God? What was cut off then? When the light was put at the tree of life that shined in every direction and it drove Adam and Eve out of the garden altogether. Story, metaphor, ancient history. What was cut off? We were cut off from some of the elements of mankind. Some of the characteristics that God put in us when he created us. We were cut off. Just like that little dulam alam glata <laughs> that was damaged by the methamphetamines so that the signal could not travel to where it needed to go. One of the dots, one of the elements of the character of mankind has been cut off from mankind since we did that. And we're still doing that. We're still trying to blame the problems of the world, the corruption of the world, on other people. And you have the mechanism in you now, but you can't get access to it to straighten everything out. So this is a good time to maybe, if we have enough time before the break, <laughs> as they, uh, I don't think we do. Maybe when we come back from the break, we'll talk about the clock and what that was all about and uh, how there is no worry about the proliferation of meaningless work once we understand why we're here to begin with. But we're going to have to look at things differently, which is what repentance is all about, and turn around and go the other way. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. To finish up that, that chapter, that uh, which is the second chapter, he, he also talks in there about things like the thalidomide, 
uh, which was back in 1958 and uh, was still being used in 61, I think all the way up to, to 1969, looking at my notes. Uh, and, and they knew early on that it was causing these birth defects, and they kept using it. And uh, they've done this with numerous drugs. Uh, the, where, where a drug is outlawed in one country because they find the ill effects, they, they simply sell it in another country. And DES, uh, which was causing all kinds of problems, continued to be used uh, for years and years after they knew it had serious side effects. Agent Orange. Uh, the, the guys who were manufacturing it knew that it was extremely carcinogenic. And they, the, uh, the way in which they were manufacturing it has been outlawed now. Uh, but it actually is, uh, Agent Orange is basically what you, you see, what is it, uh, you actually probably have some in your house, uh, many people do, which is, uh, you know, it's a weed killer. And, uh, Roundup is basically what Agent Orange was, but it's manufactured a little bit differently, but the reality is, is they can still have some of the oxen, uh, because it's an auxin herbicide, it can still have some of the toxins, uh, the uh, uh I can't remember the whole name. I used to practice saying it's about ten syllables long, <laughs> and it's a very carcinogenic substance. And they put it in fifty-five. The residue they put in fifty-five gallon drums, and they actually dumped it out in the county in which I live. Now, there's a remedy for things like that, and I know people who have. Uh, found some of the remedies and, and I was suspecting it along and there are other people doing studies on it and uh, we tried to get Bayer uh, to fund some of these studies and they could have cleaned up these sites and destroyed uh, these the, the toxic effect of this. Instead, they tried to cover it up. The state tried to cover it up uh, with bulldozers. And smash all the 55,000 drums. I mean, we have pictures of it and everything. And uh, spread the the uh, toxins everywhere. It became windborne. Uh, I know numerous people that have developed birth defects in, in that particular area. And, uh, and we have articles up on that. But instead of dealing with the problem, they try to cover it up. And you don't want that. And the way in which you deal with a problem like that is there are microorganisms that will break it down. Break out down all those toxins. The sun itself won't do it. And it, it can easily get airborne and people breathe it in and then it's in your body. But there's actually, that's what we can do on, a, on an actual gathering together physical scale is that we can uh, cover that ground with, uh, uh, we have the resources in this county with straw and then feed in certain microbes that have been uh, cultivated for years, uh, funguses, etc., that will break these things down and make the land pure again. It's built in. I saw not too long ago an oil spill where a hydraulic hose broke on a piece of machinery. And, I mean, it poured out oil uh, all of a sudden everywhere, gallons of oil. There's there's bacteria everywhere in the soil Uh in the water that will break down that oil and eat it. It's just that when you get too much of it in one place, you can't, it becomes toxic. 
And so, of course, we saw that giant oil spill in the Gulf that was going to be the end of the world and all this kind of stuff. And then they went down to try to figure out how to do it. And all of a sudden, they saw that it was going away. Something was consuming it. It was bacteria that bloomed, that ate, literally ate the oil and changed it. And then the residue of the bacteria was consumed and it changed again. Nature will purify the toxins that are produced if you let it. But many of the toxins we bring into our system. And we only do that because we're not willing to see the whole truth. And so, uh, brief mention of uh, Hannah Arden, uh, who taught political science and philosophy. She, she lived from 1906 to about 1975. And it's uh, she wrote some books, The Origins of Totalitarianism. And Matthias quotes her numerous times. And her work preceded his work. And, and uh, both of them were exploring to try to find out you know, the origins of the totalitarian mind. Well, I can take you back to the Bible. It says, be careful you do not bite one another, lest you be devoured, because in biting one another, you're feeding the totalitarian mind. To try to rule over your neighbor, to get what you want, to take away the rights of your neighbor, to sell your brother into bondage, like the the brothers of uh, Joseph. They themselves went into bondage. So if you let the seeds of the totalitarian mind into your own heart and soul, then you will become a product of that totalitarianism and contribute to it. So you don't want the seeds to come in. So you have to recognize the seeds. In order to recognize the seeds, you need to know yourself. To know yourself, you need to know the whole truth about yourself. Stop hiding. Stop denying. Stop blaming others. Take back your responsibilities for yourself and your actions. And then for your neighbors. And your neighbor's neighbor. And that's what the message of the kingdom of God is all about. It's about people who are doing that. But some people like Tacitus, Suetonius, Plutarch, the emperors, the Pharisees, Herod could not see the solution. John the Baptist talked about it. Jesus talked about it. The apostles talked about it. The Bible talks about it. But many of the people who read the Bible will not be able to recognize the truth that is in there. They know there is truth in there. But they will not be able to recognize the truth, the whole truth. Because they have capgrass. Something has been severed. Something has been cut off. Something has been rejected. Something has been denied. And the signal, the element of the mankind that God gave us, one of those elements, we are cut off from. And it remains in darkness to us. And we have to bring it into the light. So what about clocks? (laughs) The artificial society is the chapter where I think he talks about that. I don't know, he mentioned it earlier. I certainly did. But, uh, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, uh, but 
he has this whole theory about the pendulum synchronization. That, and of course they do it with like bars. They, they put pendulums and they hook them together with bars. And, uh, and the pendulum, supposedly the pendulum, uh, will swing back and forth. And even though it's unsynchronized, it will become synchronized. And this phenomenon was noticed when they put all kinds of pendulum type clocks. That was most of the clocks used pendulums early on. And uh, they put them on the same wall. And so the wall acted like this bar. So there was a vibration created by the pendulum in one clock. You might add a bigger clock with, you know, with a bigger pendulum. And eventually all the other the clocks on that wall would synchronize with the one clock. And it's actually what happens is that maybe a closer clock to the bigger clock eventually synchronizes and uh, with the bigger clock and then other clocks begin to synchronize with them. And there's a lot of different reasons for this. And of course, the vibration of the wall, the bar that they talk about helps that. But it actually includes a phenomenon also like if you had two ships on Bacom Sea that are out there, you know, and they're 100 yards apart. Maybe they're half a mile apart. But they're out there on a flat, glass-like sea. No wind. Just wooden sailing ships. They will drift closer and closer together until they touch, eventually. Because mass one and mass two, they will pull each other together. (laughs) So there's a connection there, an invisible connection. We call it gravity. Uh, That one is pulling the other and the other is pulling the one and that they eventually will come together. It's an interesting phenomenon. But the swinging of the pendulum is part of that, but it's more than that. Well, the reason, I, I don't know exactly why Desmond brings it up. Uh, you can read the book to try to figure it out. But to me, every single cell in your body, every single atom in your body is vibrating at a particular rate. Each atom, each individual type of atom, you know, selenium atom, cobalt, uh, carbon, oxygen, all these different atomic structures, each one is vibrating at a particular rate. And together, they form a harmonics, frequency. And every cell has a frequency. And even within the cell, you know, parasites in your body have frequencies that they generate because of the fact that they're pulled together. The double helix actually works as an antenna. And, and all this is going on, billions and billions of interactions. So in your human body, there are billions of clocks. And what are they synchronizing with? You see, if you, if you take some of the gears out of the clock, it might not work right. <laughs> uh, if, you, if you just take some of the teeth off of a gear, the, the time is not going to stay the same. And so if you take some of the elements of mankind and you deny them, you don't want to see them, and, and you and you let them go away into the darkness. You don't bring the light to them. 
you will malfunction as a man and a woman. You will not see the whole truth. This is what we have to get back to. We have to bring the light into every corner of where the temple of the Holy Spirit. In every corner of our body, every corner and every to every element of our being. And this, of course, is what the gospel of the kingdom is trying to tell us to do. And it's creating social structures in which lend themselves to do that. And eventually we'll get down into chapters where Matthias is talking about spirit and material. And what really is our view of the mechanical world. Is it really running things or is there a spiritual reality that is actually running things? And if there is, that spiritual reality, you know, has to be whole. Our spiritual body has to be whole. Adam escaping, hiding in the garden, denying his responsibility and fleeing the light is what every man is doing every day. And we see them doing this. And so I'm I'm talking about these things so that we can concern ourselves with those. But ultimately, this has to lead us to the point where we're actually seeking the kingdom of God. Because the Garden of Paradise was the kingdom of God. And he put us in it to dress it and keep it. That's a job. And he told us, don't, don't try to use the tree of knowledge as a source. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge. But only eat of the tree of life as a source. Now the tree of knowledge has a purpose. But it's not its purpose not the source. The same as your mental capacity. Is not going to give you the answer. And this eventually is where Matthias goes. And, and talking about all the great scientists and discoverers. Where they all come to a place where he says. Where logic will not carry us any farther. And I'm I'm going to actually sum up a little bit here that, uh, you know, because this is going to require, you have to keep coming back to this truth and and, and walking around it and, and then go home and pray about it and see where it has an effect in your own life so that you can start letting the light in. If we let all the light in at once, it'll be too much for you. But... This idea, he he sees, and I won't go into detail, we'll go into it when we get into those other chapters, which is after chapter 8 and 9, and it's in 9 and 11, 9, 10 and 11. But he says that these scientists see that logic will only take them so far. And then they have to depend upon revelation. I think sometimes Matthias uses the word resonance. Uh, where you you connect with something that isn't about logic. And he's right. But the reality is God is logical. The law of nature is logical. You just... But what he's also saying is you cannot use the tree of knowledge to see it all. We don't have the capacity. But if we eat of the tree of life... That this Holy Spirit, which is the, the phrase we see in the New Testament that symbolizes the same thing. If we eat of that, then it will fill in the gaps that our, our logical brain can't fathom. Now, part of the reason the logical brain can't see some of this stuff isn't because it's, it's not because it's not logical. 
It's because we don't want to see all the elements of our mind. All the dots and points in our minds. And we're going to look at a number of different metaphors that he uses to try to describe this. And we're going to try to relate them back to the Bible. But if you won't see certain basic truths, you cut those off. If you deny those truths, it cuts the highway, the narrow way, so you cannot receive the reciprocal solution. So you don't recognize your Father in heaven. You don't recognize your mother on earth because you've severed that connection. But now we want to reconnect. How do we reconnect? Do we have the power to reconnect? Can it? Can we be reconnected? And of course, Christ gives us a very simple formula sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and then on a daily basis start caring for one another Paul Peter says stop eating at the table of those men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other you have to see that that, that's wrong that that's a covetous practice a lot of people I don't want to see that's a covetous practice that's the way we do it well see that's Tacitus and Suetonius no no we, we have our temples you know the 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 guy who sat in the trial over the seven in North Africa. We have an article uh, about them. And, and we, we quote from the the chronicles of that trial. And they say that, you know, we have a genius of Caesar who provides us with our daily bread. And, of course, the Christians are saying, yeah, we get our daily bread through faith, hope, and charity, if you're depending on Caesar. I mean, basically, this is what they're saying. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, more than paraphrasing. I'm filling in the blanks. But Caesar depends upon force, fear, and violence. Jordan Peterson says, as we said earlier in the program, if you're using this force, fear, and, and, and violence, then that's not a good leader. And, of course... There's no leaders out there that are going to give up force, fear, and violence to provide you with social welfare. Because Jordan Peterson didn't get it that the altars of Jehovah Nisi are systems of social welfare. The altars of clay and stone are systems of social welfare. He's right about gathering in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But if they're not going to become the system of social welfare for the people in Europe, where they actually take back their responsibilities, I mean, that's what he's talking about, is citizens, you know, the alliance of citizens for responsibility. Well, there's your first responsibility. Your responsibility is not to boss the leaders around, which Matthias actually touches on. Because the when he talks about leaders, he says the leaders aren't really leading. Neither neither are the people leading. So what is leading? The ideology. Well, the ideology, like the, the pigs in, in the animal farm, that's changing every day. <laughs> it is, you know, you know, it's like QAnon. Changes every day. You don't, you don't, want your ideology to come from the outside. You want your ideology to come from the tree of life. And the tree of life is consistent. But we're consistently not eating of the tree of life. 
we can't even get to it. Because we don't want to get into the light that shines in every direction. Because we will have to walk into the light. Because there are things that we don't still don't want to admit. If you're willing to admit that the problems of the world are not simply the result of what the leaders are doing or the media is doing. I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not excusing them. They're still responsible for what they do. But the problem isn't created by them. It's it's created because we're not filled with light. And we're not filled with light because we don't want to admit we haven't been taking our responsibilities. We don't want to admit we haven't been doing what Christ said. We don't want to admit that we aren't taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, but we're taking care of one another through the Nimrods of Babylon, the pharaohs of bondage, the Caesars of Rome through FDR and LBJ and Obama and George Bush. These are our saviors. Or have been. They haven't saved us. They brought us deeper and deeper into bondage. But I shouldn't say they have because I, I fell into the same trap. We have gone in because we did not take the responsibility of loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Instead, we coveted our neighbor's goods and made the government our God. Which takes me to Matthew 23, 9. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. That statement alone should shatter all of modern Christendom. Because modern Christendom is not true Christendom. Modern Christendom goes to the fathers of the earth for their daily bread. They don't pray to the Father in heaven for their daily bread. They pray to the fathers of the earth. Now that's that one little simple line. If you don't know that the same word in Greek, patri, is the same word in Latin, patri, which is the same word that means father. And all the legislators of Rome, the Senate of Rome, were called the conscripted patri, the conscripted fathers. And the emperor of Rome was called the Patronus, our father, who art in Rome. Hallowed be thy name, thy son of God, because he was called the son of God. Give us this day our daily bread through the free bread of Rome, the free bread of Caesar, that even the Jews were taking. I, I, I show you how... Augustus Caesar was passing laws that if the Jews couldn't come and get their free bread from Rome, they had their own free bread from Herod and the Pharisees through the Corbin of the Pharisees, but they could also get the free bread of Rome occasionally when it came there. They could get that. And if it fell on a Jewish holiday, the Jews could come on another day. Caesar actually took the time to write that law in and they loved him for it. There are many Jews who loved him for it. We have this Hollywood B-movie view of of why Romans were in Judea. Still today, you can go to Israel today. Strong 
system of social welfare through men who exercise authority. Forbidden since Moses. Forbidden by Yahweh himself. All the offerings that come to my altars of social welfare, Jehovah Nisi, must be free will offerings. Are they doing that in Israel? They just rolled back that direction a little bit and prosperity boomed in Israel. Now they want to get rid of the guy who who did it. <laughs> now, he just rolled it back a little bit. He didn't really repent. He just saw this is killing us. I mean, even nor, uh, nor well, Sweden did this. They were bankrupting their society. They jumped into the socialism so heavy they were. You ended up owing more taxes than you made, and they they rolled it back and they privatized a lot of their social welfare. Nothing privatizes it more than seeking the kingdom. Thank you. Peace on your house. May God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.